Alright, how's it going everybody? This is the Dueling Memoirs Podcast with me, Sean McCandless. And me, Dr. Mozzarella. You got Do they have mozzarella in their ear this time also? <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> I assume they yeah. do. Yeah. If you're tuned in, you got mozzarella and McCandles in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> and there's gonna be a pop quiz later. Which you would rather have in your ear? Cheese or a candle? Hey, you know, there is that... Uh, have you ever had one of those earwax removers that's actually a candle? <laughs> that's no. a real thing. No. It's a real thing. It's You have to have a buddy to, to do it because you, you basically stick in this wax mm-hmm. paper cone that extends out like yeah. a foot and a half. You stick it in your ear yeah. and you light one side of it on fire. <laughs> because... Because I am familiar with commemorative candles, but uh, so that would be a commemorative earwax candle. Yeah, so well, it, you can always make an <laughs> earwax sculpture afterwards and commemorate <laughs> the, the time. Is it made out of earwax? No, it gets the earwax out. It's uh, okay. it's physics. The uh, you know, the heat uh-huh. creates a pressure thing where it's it just like sucks it all out of your ear. Okay, now Sean, you did this before. I tried. I have an earwax problem. I don't oh. know if you know. Well, no, I. I don't know. I don't, problem. I mean, I'm not the worst. I don't know if we can hang out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't know that, Sean. Yeah, I have a lot of earwax. Uh, okay. You well, know, but Q-tips. I use Q-tips a lot. Yeah. And, but at one point, I was just. Um, oh my God, that just reminded me of something. Well, if you don't want to talk about it, Sean, that's all right. No, I love talking about it. I know. Can we save it? If you don't that? want to listen to it, I understand. <laughs> Can we save it for another podcast? All right, we'll save we'll save that that mm-hmm. juicy earwax story that I have for later. So, just uh, you know, before we get off on going, just uh, to bring it back in, this is episode number two. We did that that pilot that was in the parking lot, but now we've got uh, we've come to the Cristacular. We've come to my studio at home, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll go to uh, your veranda next time. Yeah. You know? Because this episode, we're going to focus on uh, stories from my life. Doc's going to play the interviewer, and, and we're going to mainly focus on uh, on some on a little slice of my life. But of course, you know, we'll, we'll go off from there. So uh, now, Sean, be, before we get going on here, should should I be an interviewer or an interlocutor? You could be an interrogator. How about that? <laughs> we have ways to make you talk. <laughs> no. The reason we're so giddy, I think, today is because um, we're going to be talking about the Marx Brothers. Yeah. And uh, I met Sean at a, at a record store, Up to Creek Records, uh, and I, he was in his late 30s, and I'm in my late 60s, and we both realized that we love the Marx Brothers. How did that, even, how did that come about? I think it's, we both just like can't go several days without talking about them, maybe. So, <laughs> could be. Well, well, Groucho is such a <clears throat> influence for me, but at my age, it's very explainable because when I was in my 20s, there was a genuine Marx Brothers revival uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. You could go to college campuses and actually see. Uh, Marx Brothers movie. See, this makes a lot of sense. This this goes into why I'm into it. Well, that's what I wanted to know. Sean. Okay. Because it makes sense for me because, you know, I think there was a mini Marx Brother craze along with W.C. Fields, uh, not too much Charlie Chaplin, but uh, but definitely 
Laurel and Hardy, the Marx Brothers. It's it's probably appearance. why there's like an 80s craze now, you know? It's just like one generation before, it, a new generation's discovering those, that aesthetic or whatever. and Yeah. They're reviving it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because so, the Marx Brothers are classic. I mean, you know, I'm I'm one generation removed from you, and I still... Oh, man, they just cracked me up. And I was able to get my friends in on it. So we'll talk about all this. Yeah, uh, but tell me, tell me, oh, tell, because you're going to, when we come back, you're going to tell me about how you were introduced to them. Exactly. We'll start from the beginning. Okay. Sean, how old yes, were you? How, how old were you when you first got into the Marx Brothers? I'm gonna say 12 years old. It's definitely 12 or 13. Something about uh, the mischievousness of them. Uh, they seem like kind of eternal teenage boys, basically. <laughs> well, that, so maybe that's why they yeah. appealed to me so much, you know. Um, but it was my dad. It was my dad. He was around your age, and he was part of that Marx Brothers revival. Uh, you know, he, he, he actually, at, he went to Knox College for a while in Illinois, mm-hmm. and he was actually involved in putting on screenings of some oh. of these movies and stuff. Oh, that's great. And so he, and he, he actually studied film uh, at Knox College there okay. for a little while. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. Like, my dad, like, maybe it's this kind of self-deprecating, uh, you know, Norwegian-Irish kind of thing where he's just like... <laughs> Always playing himself down, but he was he was interested in film. He was and he was a photographer mm-hmm. for the army, and you know, like had one of his pictures on the front page of, of you know one day, like across the country. You know, it's like he was a major photographer. Uh, he was a singer. Like I only saw him really in church, but before I was born, he was in the barbershop quartet craze. Do you remember? Did, of course. Okay, so yeah. he was he was taking part in that. Uh, he played in a band when he was in high school. So he's done all these things. Um, that, you know, I, I bring these up because, you know, I've been into film. I've, I started, you know, I've made a movie club in high school and, you know, I've made short movies myself and I've, now I'm, I'm getting, you know, I've, I've done photography and music and all this stuff that, but it, it felt like it was coming out of nowhere, but really it was him. Yeah. And now, um, just want to talk about your dad for a minute because, um, I was hanging out in Michigan in Ann Arbor a college town. Yeah. And that's mostly, you know, where I saw the the Marx Brothers. And as a, as a uh, congratulations to your dad for putting it on, in those days it was a big deal because you had to get a catalog of what was available. You had to get the screening room. You had to get the project. I mean, it, not like today where you can just, you know, put it on your, your laptop. Put it, it on your laptop and see everything you need. No, to actually see it, you had to make an effort. And a lot of the films were, you know, uh, they were restored, but still, it was movies, you yeah. know, and, and all, all that's involved with actually projecting something. So yeah, it's great that your dad did it. Now, um, I, yeah, I don't know to what extent he might be listening to this and go, like, well, that's not exactly true. But, you know, he was definitely involved. That's all yeah. I know. And he was into it. Yeah. And so he was into, because W.C. Fields, Marx Brothers are not your guys' generation. They're not a boomer that's, thing. That's right. Just in case anybody out there is not familiar with the Marx Brothers, it's it's a 
It's a brother act. They're actually brothers. Groucho Marx, Harpo Marx, Chico Marx, Zeppo Marx. Um, Don't forget Gummo. And Gummo, who was <laughs> in a couple of the things early on, but then went on to like uh, be an agent. No, Zeppo quit yeah. the band <laughs> to be an agent. Yeah. And then Gummo, I think, I, I forget what he did. He was, became an insurance salesman or something. I don't know. But what made them so amazing to me, I think, was just the way they worked together. Yeah. And if you know anything about their history, they did this on stage. Yeah. This kind of zany anarchy that Sean is referencing. The, the teenage, teenage boy thing. Yeah, the teenage boy thing. Because they were literally teenage boys when doing started, it on stage. When they started, yeah. I And so, so okay, my dad, of course, like told me about the Marx Brothers, you know. Yeah. And he remembers cracking up about the stateroom scene in uh, Night at the Opera where they're like cramming more and more people into a small room and they're ordering food through the door and like every time they order a food it goes like and two hard-boiled eggs <laughs> two hard-boiled eggs honk make that three hard-boiled eggs <laughs> Does that... and then by the end it's like 77 yeah. hard-boiled but, eggs but, but but all that goes back to radio and vaudeville well vaudeville like yeah, vaudeville. i didn't know about vaudeville and something about that just really clicked. And so my dad passed on this book that I'm holding in my hand, the Marx Brothers Scrapbook. Okay. And this this is a first edition because uh, it's from 1973, okay. right around that time. Yeah. And my mom, uh, you know, she signed it in here, and, and uh, it's got a couple of relics to the past. Actually, it's it's from you know it's like a little McCandless family history here. Um, you know. 1973 for Mike on this Christmas with love Barb and oh, this, this, uh, she worked at yeah. a your mom worked at a bookstore at a bookstore at yeah. that time and this was like early in their in their courtship and, and I owned that that same the same book the same book at some it, point it's fantastic so I I dug into I remember reading it on long car trips in our Dodge caravan minivan and just it's just Groucho talking so frankly so clearly and so funnily about how they got started and what it was like being a teenage boy on the road uh, performing. And uh, and something about that, just the idea of how do you become an artist? You know, it's like I liked performing. I knew that. I, I had a great, you know, I loved humor. But how did people in the past go about making a life out of it? So that's what kind of got me into it. Yeah, I was uh, I was fascinated also when I when I saw the Marx Brothers and saw how how seamlessly they seemed to work together. And of course, I know movies are different because they can they can edit it and, and make it better in the uh, in the mix. But when they were doing this on stage, uh, I, I of course I never saw them live, but I have read accounts of people who were there in the theater. And they would, the way they would usually work is they would take something that was kind of uh, kind of normal in those days, like they might do a sketch about, oh, uh, 
public schools were just getting, getting right. Getting fun in started. high school. That fun, was yeah, there. Fun in school. Yeah, right. where Groucho played the principal with a German accent. <laughs> <laughs> but but it became so. It started out like that. Yeah. But it became so. Uh, anarchic and chaotic. They just take it off the script because they're yeah. doing it the same in, you know, uh, Cedar Rapids and then, you know, like Boulder, Colorado. They're going down the train line, playing these small little towns. It's not glamorous at all, you know. And and they might get bored with the same exactly. script. So, so to amuse them, some, themselves and amuse each other, they got more and more uh, hilarious. And, and what I liked about it is that uh, or what appealed to me about him is that they 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 kicked up rather than uh, kicking down. Uh, they they made fun of the they, uh, made, they, fun they of, made fun of the established order, the the pretentiousness of of. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, night, it's always a classic thing where you know Groucho plays some kind of authority figure that really doesn't belong there because he's absolutely silly. So on one hand, he's got an inside job like poking at his co-workers or whatever and then you got the harpo and chico playing kind of uh you know underclass people yeah you know uh well you know even groucho groucho's uh being jewish and an immigrant well they're all right <laughs> so they're all brothers so, so he was i always saw him as kind of the outsider that went after opera and uh high society you know especially when margaret dumont was in right. the movie yeah, Margaret Dumont was a perfect foil because she could take the jokes and continue it and not crack up laughing. She, it, Groucho said in some of these books that uh, Margaret Dumont, like, she genuinely didn't get the jokes. <laughs> you know, I mean, and some of the jokes like that. Okay, so just back to, like, how I was, how I was uh, interpreting these things and why it, you know, out of all the many things I could have been into as a 13-year-old, like, why I got so into Groucho is, like, just kind of, um, he would say surrealistic type of things that kind of made sense and kind of didn't make sense, and they made enough sense that they were funny on that sense. But then there's that whole other untapped potential of the line where it's just this doesn't make any sense, and he's doing it, and and he's doing it so fast and so adeptly that people can't catch up with him. And 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 how is that awesome for for somebody who doesn't understand the world they're trying to find their place in the world that they're, they're constantly in situations where they don't understand everything and they're being controlled by powers um that don't understand who they are and, and, and you know the, the chaos was a way of breaking through that and really existing on your own terms and having so much fun doing it you know and that's to me that's what being an artist uh could be and and so that's why I still have a picture of him on my wall wherever I go. It's right there. That's the Grateful Dead over there. They're another oh, example yeah. of that. But uh, over to your left. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just because. Um, well, you're you're right though, Sean. When he was always the quickest wit in the room. And even in real life. And by the time you realize that he insulted you, he was already gone. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he, he caught people flat-footed. They didn't know how to react. Margaret Dumont, uh, her, the commi her commitment to, to that character uh, is what made her the perfect foil because she was, she always played the rich dowager who was in high society and, um, and status was so important to her. And Groucho would just, uh, would just 
<laughs> just make fun of those status symbols. You know, like just knock them down one at a time. And uh, and his commitment to his character too. Did you notice his commitment to char- his character? He was always the he was always the wise guy. The the guy. Uh, well, he's he's essential. All of them were essentially character types. You yeah. know what I mean? Archetypes, even. Uh, yeah, like I wouldn't go so far to say like psychological Mm-mm. archetypes, but definitely in the world of vaudeville mm-hmm. and in the world of early Broadway and just in the culture at large at that time, you know, Chico was the immigrant. You mm-hmm. know, it's like I've never heard him speaking his normal voice. He has this fake, phony Italian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's Italian. Sometimes you know it's like he could be from Czech Republic, <laughs> Czechoslovakia. He could be from. He was the immigrant. Right. He was the immigrant hustler. Yeah. And then you had, uh, you know, Harpo was the closest to an archetype. I feel like because he's just almost this like, an- angelic, uh, yeah. trickster. Yeah. Who comes down yeah. from heaven? It seems like and he was playing the harp, and and, and he's just. Uh, and then Groucho. And not only that, but he's his seen, own you know what, And not only that, character type. Yeah. Not only that about Harpo is uh, even though he was always uh, you know chasing scantily clad women he was gender fluid I mean when you look at him <laughs> with that wig and his and his moves and the and you know that that face that he would make that was like yeah I guess you would call it gender fluid today yeah, yeah. androgynous I mean androgynous it, yeah in any kind you know and what I'd like to talk about next actually is is how I deepened my Marx brother experience when I started performing okay. as as the Marx brothers but well, I just want to say to your point the the only Marx brother revival shows that I've seen Harpo is always played by a woman it's yeah. just like Peter Pan yeah it gets played by a woman Harpo was always played by a woman for because it just it doesn't mess it up it's, yeah it just fits yeah but yeah, so we'll talk about the performing aspect yeah. of it next. Oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Lydia, the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh, Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh, Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Hey, Sean, so which of the Marx Brothers was your favorite? I mean, I'd have to say um, it's it's tough. It's between Groucho and Harpo because I think Harpo, I honestly think objectively Harpo is the best. He's the genius of the group. But I think, but Groucho is my personal favorite. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Well, that's the same. I can't decide. Yeah. But. I'm just wondering. And it would all fall apart without Chico, too. Yeah, exactly. They needed the three. Yeah. Now, did you ever play Harpo or Groucho? Or yes, you know that's the thing. It's like uh, when I would watch him, I would like start to imitate him and stuff, and like try the routines out on my sisters and stuff. And <laughs> it didn't go all that well. But uh, <coughs> uh, I got a phone call there, Doug. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What would Groucho do? Groucho, if that happened in Groucho's, he would just have the perfect thing to say. And that is the thing I could never duplicate. And I don't think anybody can. Even these like revival shows where people play Groucho, mm-hmm. there's there's just never that ease and that biting, just nailing it that Groucho has. I just nobody's able to do it. So what happened when you played Groucho? So um, did you get the mustache and all that stuff? Yeah. So I mean, it it first came about like when I started sharing my love of them with my buddies. And they just it humored me, I guess, and they found enough in it that they liked. So that 
we would just kind of sit around at lunchtime and like kind of have <clears throat> Marxian inter- interchanges where like, you know, we would like, you know, hide, hide like the guy's apple or something like that. And like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and then like just get into these things. And then when girls were there watching us, we r- ratcheted it up like <laughs> double time. We were like really funny. We were like, you know, and it got to the point where we knew the Marx Brothers enough where we could kind of fall into roles of like straight man, like Harpo style, like physical comedian. And then like uh, Groucho style uh, verbal comedian. So it, it, it came up very organically that we just started hanging out and emulating them. Then I got my hands on a book called Why a Duck that uh, has uh, stills from the movies and the dialogue written out. And I remember I had a friend who was like, she was the perfect Marge Dumont, actually. Like, she was, she was great. She was, she was funny and she had a sense of humor, but it's like she was very good as a straight woman. And, and like, I remember one time after summer school, we opened the book in the Dodge minivan and... <laughs> We just started reading back and forth and uh, and started getting the timing down. And I was just, I couldn't have been happier. But then it was in eighth grade that I uh, actually, yeah, I put on the mustache. And the cigar? Yeah, it was a fake cigar. Um, but, uh, and, and I remember the mustache, we like, Groucho used grease paint, but we used like some kind of regular paint. So it kind of chipped off and looked terrible after a while. <laughs> and I think I got really bad sunburn on my nose. So it looked weird, you know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, we got, I got, it was for eighth grade. We had history week where each class had a decade and we got the twenties. So I go like, oh, we're going to do a vaudeville show. And so there's that, uh, the swordfish password scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, you're trying to get into a speakeasy. Yeah. I'll give you a hint. (laughs) I'll give you a hint. It's the name. It's a name. Uh, it's the name of a fish, and he goes, "Mary." Mary, <laughs> no, Mary drinks like a fish. Yeah, right. Was oh, it? yeah, really? She drinks like what? <laughs> that. I remember delivering that line. We had no sense of what that meant. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like uh, that's the thing. The Marx Brothers, you know, they had a lot of universal humor, but they also had a lot of timely, topical stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense to modern audiences. Sure. I mean, even speakeasies. I mean, you know, that was. Yeah, in the prohibition. Yeah, yeah. but it, in that sense, it, it felt it fed into what we were doing in the class because we were supposed to be educating the audience. You know, like each class would come and watch the other class's stuff, and then mm-hmm. parents would come and stuff, and, and we were educating them about the twenties. And I'm gonna guess yours was the funniest, dude. It was just yes, we got real laughs. We got yeah. There's just I'll never forget that that week. You know, uh, we got we got to perform the Marx Brothers in our in costumes and stuff uh and we actually got that feeling where like people were like coming and they were ready to laugh you know and so we gave them any kind of excuse to laugh and the room lit up and i'll just never forget how awesome that was yeah now you have you you dressed up as groucho for halloween all the time (laughs) i would say from all the way through my 20s really yeah it would be uh because it was easy uh believe it or not you can, um, you used to be able to get like uh, tuxedos with tails at thrift stores or, you know, some okay. army or Goodwill. Yeah. I mean, you could really get costumes. You can't get them today, but, and that cigar I can always get. But I started, like you, memorizing his, uh, some of his routines. I mean, it would be like, uh, say, uh, oh, he said this to Margaret Dumont. He'd go, oh, he, um, Will you marry me? Do you have any money? Answer the second question, question first. first. <laughs> and, and Can't I, you see what I'm trying to tell you? I love, love you. you. 
<laughs> well, it won't be easy at first. Uh, you could live with your folks, and I could live with your folks. I can see it now, coming home from work. You're bending over a hot stove. Only I can't see the stove. But I can't see the stove. <laughs> and so when when that started getting funny reactions, I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go all out. Yeah. So and Halloween, you know, in, in Michigan, Halloween was was well huge. in Ann Arbor, I imagine. Oh yeah. God, it was huge. There was there was costume parties, uh, you know, with prizes, real prizes. Oh. And so I could go. <clears throat> And I would always win first or second prize. Wow, because you're not because you're really embodying the part. Exactly, you're, you're schmoozing with people, and uh... there was way better costumes than I had. Yeah, but I but nobody was cracking people up. Nice, and I could usually ask, you know, my date, whoever, you know, this is when I was single and just dating a lot of different women. But I could usually get a, a woman to say, "Hey, you want to do this thing together?" And then, and, well, she wouldn't want to be Marjorie Dumont, though. No, 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 no. But I says, no, you can be Harpo. And that, <laughs> so I don't have to talk. What they liked, what, what most of the girls liked, was they didn't have to talk. Yeah, they just be. They could just. So, they, could, uh, they got their prop. Yeah, I'd give them the a horn. great Halloween yeah. is you got to have a prop I'd that can. You give, know. Yeah, give them the horn, put the give them the wig. Wow. Any young and, young ones out there? Well, I don't know if that would work nowadays, but uh, well, I know, but but that's but this is why it's so funny we're talking about this, Sean, because they yeah. were. They were obviously artists that were formative in both of our lives. Yeah. Are they going to be relevant to a future generation? I really hope they are. I mean, I played Duck Soup, which I figured that's the can't miss. You know, yeah. that's just the hilarious. Hail, hail Fredonia. Yeah, just joke upon joke. It, it, it didn't do well in the theaters because it was just, it was only one hour and ten minutes long, but it was just like, they just said, forget the love story, forget the songs, you know, we're just going to go absolutely nuts. <laughs> And uh, I love it for that reason. But, you know, um, I played it for a friend that I was staying with for a while. And boom. I mean, this is even this is when cell phones were definitely a thing. Um, he was just totally tuned out. The black and white, the yeah. graininess of it, it, just totally tuned out. It didn't work. I tried to show it to my son, Sean, as an experiment. I thought, let's see if the millennial... Uh, when? How old was he? Well, he was... He was a teenager or twenty. He was no. He was in his twenties. See, that's when maybe I, too when, late. Yeah, when I discovered the Marx Brothers, I was in my twenties, uh, and so yeah, and he he wouldn't sit still for it, black and white. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I. But since you know he graduated from college, he's on his own now. When he came for a visit, he did watch at the circus, and and he laughed. Okay. He actually liked it. He actually sat through the whole thing, which I was. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. Well, see, now I can see why you might think that's your favorite movie, Barks Brothers movie. <laughs> that's not my favorite, but if it made Ben laugh, that's yeah. But the huge. Op- but the opera one is good. Night at the Opera, Night I think, the is opera. the best film out of all of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's still the same. Th- it's kind of a theme in that they're set inside a world of high culture or high finance, yeah. and they just turn everything upside down. And they're they're anarchs, anarchists. And, yeah. Uh, and comedians and supernatural. Like, do you remember Harpo like running up the the backdrop? Like, yes. It's like it. You know, that's the thing about Harpo particularly. It's like when 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 you're reaching that limit of plausibility that's hanging by a thread. But when you reach that limit of plausibility, he can go and do something that is actually uh, superhuman. Superhuman. Yeah. And yeah. you believe it because it's because it's Harpo. Yeah. And you know they were they were making those films before the era of special effects, and so 
the the few special effects that they do are so potent for me anyways i just think it's, it's, i mean it's it goes back to vaudeville i just kind of figure how do you get that good at those things particularly harpo because harpo's maybe the first person that you try to emulate you know because it's very simple you know he has this gag where he puts his leg up in when someone's they, hand when they go to shake their hand yeah and get... he and he puts his leg in their hand and they like you know hit it down and he just manages to do it like seven times in the matter of two minutes even when the person is actively trying not to let him do it so you just try to emulate that and you just realize emulating harpo forget about it it's even like I said, even though you, you know, I, there was a show called "A Night in the Ukraine" or something like that. It sounds familiar. It was. It, it, I mean, it was cool. It was, it's a play, and you know, you can order it in catalogs and have your high school do it and stuff like that. It's basically a Marx Brother movie put into a play. Oh, you know, probably written in the seventies. Okay. And th- that that yeah, they try to have the Harpo scene, and it just it just doesn't work. And then that 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 cigarette thing where he he blows cigarette bubbles. Oh yeah, do you remember that? I do. That's like a special effect, but it was just like something he picked up in in Toledo, you know. Like, yeah, and wasn't there that scene in Fredonia where he's showing his tattoos? Yeah, and he, there was one in oh, yeah. a doghouse, and yeah, the dog, dog came house. Groucho looks for a closer look, and the <laughs> dog comes. Oh man, that's giving me bad uh, bad vibes right now. So, oh, just on a side note, like this has been a bad week for delivery driving. Oh, the dogs, man. The dogs have been like, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I'm a stranger, right? I come up to the door yeah. and of course they see me as a stranger, but I'm just beginning to take it personally because even the, the the shop dog back at the florist shop, when I get back there, he's starting to bark at me. And I'm just like, God damn it, like you little bastards. Like, I'm not, anyway, maybe we'll cut this out. <laughs> what would Harpo do? See, Sean, you got to get one of those. That's the point. That's the great thing about Harpo. He, how could you not love Harpo if you're an animal or a child? He's so pure. He could just make children laugh any given moment. I, you know, that scene in Night at the Opera. My favorite musical scene in Night at the of all is is the Night at the Opera because Harpo gets his chance. He takes this like the whole boat is rollick doing this big Italian folk dance. Chico gets on the piano and like does like a really awesome. Uh, piano rendition that Harpo gets on the piano and does like this funny and the kids are just going nuts yeah all he has to do is look at them and <laughs> you know so the Harpo wouldn't have a problem with the dogs and it's funny that one of his characters Pinky I think he was Pinky the dog catcher that's right so yeah yeah Pinky the dog catcher I remember it's like he, dogs he locked the bad guy in the <laughs> yeah in the cage, <laughs> the, cage. <laughs> the cop whatever yeah whoever, I, think it, I think whatever the bad guy was yeah he locked them in Harpo the cage. always got the better of yeah <laughs> that's why I love the Marx Brothers they could just they could get authority figures that were full of themselves on one yeah. hand or that were just really mean on the other hand you know or and then and then Groucho himself becomes the bad guy that it, because Chico always fools Groucho into doing something so it's like Groucho has that unique comic sensibility where he's making fun of himself at the same time as he's making fun of everybody and it's not this kind of aw shucks self-deprecation or like self-degradation you know he's not he's never dragging himself through but it's like well yeah I'm gonna back you up on that Sean yeah here's how we know he's making fun of himself 
the first time we see his fake mustache. That's so true. <laughs> he, I mean, she's... Because remember, at that time, mustaches were a sign of distinction and sophistication. Yeah. And uh, people would trim them all and get them all nice. And he just got this black, black slab of paint <laughs> on his face. It's like, are we supposed to take you seriously? But he, before you could even think about it, he's off talking and... Uh, yeah. It, it, 50 Man. miles an hour. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I ex- actually also have a story about how my Marx Brother performing days ended. Okay. Well, let's talk about that when we come back. <laughs> Sounds good. So, Sean, I just can't get over this. It just cracks me up. You were, like, in a suburban junior high school? Yeah. Where were you? It was Menlo Atherton High School in the Bay Area. Yeah, and then here it is, a group of uh, cut-ups, you know, uh, middle school cut-ups, embracing this this vaudeville hell's a-poppin'. That was just one of my favorite times. I mean, like, I've had so many different groups of friends. You know, I don't, I don't, I haven't stayed in touch with too many friends, which is a really big regret of mine, but it's just because I've had so many nice pockets of my life where I had a, like, a click, you know, and we really got along in one form or another, Mm -hmm. and the Marx Brothers were really what, uh, what allowed us, they gave us a blueprint or just like an idea of how to be together yet crazy you mm-hmm. know kind of us against each other but us against the world too yeah. it, and and the fact that it, you know i've always kind of liked i've gravitated to old things i don't know why like mm-hmm. I, I you know i have no problem with black and white movies still you know i i like reading about history uh, I am a big cassette tape collector, as you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. You know, it's 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 not like I'm pining for the past all the time. I, you know, I like now. Well, it's fun to excavate the past. Though. It is, and there's so much more of it than there is the present. <laughs> uh, oh, Quote. There's oh, <laughs> a lot more there. No, but uh, Goethe. All right, he sa- has a quote. I think he says, "Anyone who is not." using the full breadth and depth of the past knowledge is living hand to mouth that's good you know what i mean Uh, you know i'd like to say that sounds like a good place to leave sean but i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna let you off the hook that easy when is the last time you okay when's the last time you performed groucho are you you still doing groucho no i haven't done groucho for for years and years because yeah so so eighth grade was that history week that was like the peak of of it working as a concept it actually made people laugh mm-hmm. and freshman year was that's how we uh, my fr- group of friends kind of stuck together you know in this new high school environment but by the time senior year came along you know it was a similar thing our history class our american history class had a history week thing where it's like you perform and, and i go like oh. and and one of our friends from that time was like oh why don't you guys do the marx brother thing like that was great you're like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, that'll be great to do that again. So we did the the scene uh, from Night at the Opera with the party of the first part, the sanity clause, <laughs> the contract routine, where Groucho and Chico are the, the the bad guy opera guy is passed out on the floor because Harpo dropped a sandbag on his head, 
And it starts out with like, but he deserved it. Yeah, of course he deserved it. He's a horrible guy. And it starts with Groucho putting his foot up on him and saying like, pull up at the bar, plenty of room. So so the whole scene takes place with their feet up on, yeah, this passed out opera star. Anyway, and they start negotiating a contract. uh, And Chico can't read and, you know, doesn't trust the contract. And Groucho's trying to get him to, he's trying to trick him into like doing a, bunk contract anyway yeah goes like a hundred dollars a week huh? wasn't his name shyster in that movie yeah uh, no, that was on the on the radio i think he had a something shyster yeah, yeah. he had a name like flywheel that. flywheel yeah. yeah um flywheel shyster and flywheel yeah, yeah exactly so um so yeah he's always playing a shyster but he you know he's going a like hundred dollars a week well i'm entitled to some profit how about ten dollars a week <laughs> like i was like Anyway, so they're negotiating yeah. this contract, and, they and it's keep, they and keep, they keep ripping the pa- the contract shorter and shorter yeah. until it's just down to like one line. Until it's down to one line. So there's a physical aspect to it, yeah. And and we practiced it, and you know it's pretty hard to like end up, you know, to like sync the stripping of the paper and remember all the lines and stuff like that. And it was just one routine. The other one we had, we got to choose three different routines, I think, or maybe two, and like had different kind of flavors and stuff. So. This one, we just got one. And that one was like after school. It was a very party environment in eighth grade, you know, like got people coming in from parents, but also students. And, you know, it was like a wild atmosphere. And it has a speakeasy kind of thing. But in senior year, history class was first period. So it was like 8.30 in the morning. And we were in this theater room. And everybody was just like, "Oh, okay, you're gonna get up there. And so, and it was nobody else except our class who had been like dealing with us all year long. And we did this uh, this this scene, and it has a couple, especially in the beginning, a couple of references that are just kind of like related to the movie, or they're related to something that you wouldn't get right away. So we, it didn't have a hook at the very beginning, and Doc, silence the entire routine. <laughs> I'm glad. Sorry, it's giving a laugh now. That's fine. Yeah. Silence. We did the whole comedy, quote-unquote, routine to complete dead silence. And when we were done, they actually... Oh, my God. It would be better if they didn't clap, to be honest. And and at that point, I was just like, well, that didn't go over so well. Maybe I'll never do that again. <laughs> but... Um, it was it was because I had a great friend Scott Fisher who who also loved the Marx Brothers. His dad was similarly in your generation and similarly really funny rye guy. Got him into the, all these Spike Jones. He got him oh, into like all this old comedy stuff. Oh and, my god, we should do a podcast about Spike Jones. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I have his Christmas album on cassette. Oh, <laughs> sealed copy. So I don't. I'll never listen to it. But it'll go. No. Um, but in any case, he was the perfect Chico, and he let me be Groucho. And uh, and to this day, I think you know, if I saw him, we could like probably do some routines. It would be great. So well, that's that's good. Now we're not probably not going to get into this pot into into it in this podcast. Yeah. But whenever I think of the Marx Brothers, I think of the other, you know, comedy teams. And I'm thinking of Larry Moe and Curly. Okay. And there's a lot of people that confuse the two. You know, I mean, not people that aren't necessarily as much into comedy, yeah, and performing arts as we are, um, and I think they're totally different. They are totally different. I think, I, you know, I, I the mean, heritage, I, just the vaudeville heritage. Well, 
I'm getting uppity right now saying heritage, but just just coming from vaudeville, yeah, and coming and then coming from wherever the Three Stooges came no, from. No, no, the Three Stooges came from vaudeville too. But, okay. but it was a, it was at really at the end of vaudeville when that's kind of what really made people laugh is physical uh, violence, physical violence. You know when when Groucho and uh, and Chico and Harper were doing it. There was still some nuance in it, and and accents were huge. There mm. was half the people in vaudeville got their comedy from the malapropisms or misunderstandings. Right, of English is a second language. Yeah, whereas the Stooges didn't have any verbal comedy. It was just sweat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, socks and sound effects and throwing each other around. Yeah. So, uh, which can be good. I mean, it's pretty awesome. It's you know when they got it choreographed well, and I really like Curly. I thought Curly was. I, I he mean, was kind of their harpo. Yeah, he was kind of the genius. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, but definitely just not as smart. Yeah, <laughs> not as sure. it would it would have deep. Been, yeah, uh, it would have been funnier probably to see them live. But by the time they got it on movies, I mean <laughs> some of those big props. So you got to admit the big hammers yeah. and the big saws. Those were funny. Yeah, the it, sound effects were funny. It, but there was no... They were great for television, it seemed yeah. like, you know. Because that's when they got... I, I don't know. My uncle was really into them. Like, yeah. he would get Three Stooges presents every year and stuff like that. But yeah. and he was a little younger than you. And, like, uh, yeah. a little bit. Not too... But uh, but there was no puns or wordplay or any of the stuff... Except, Crouch like, had. in the names of, like, institutions well, or, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's they, true. They would have some things. But, but, but Groucho sets... See, that's the thing. It's like, Harpo really is the genius and stuff, but... Groucho sets them apart. He takes them to this whole huge level because he's 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 usually playing the lead. Essentially, <clears throat> it's like I say it would fall apart without Chico because he's the one to deflate Groucho. But the fact that he inflates yeah. and he's so he fills up the 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 world with words, you know. Yeah, and 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 you know, <clears throat> Groucho and Harpo are are such perfect opposites that you do need somebody in the middle. I I, yeah. I see Chico the same way. Yeah. Is the uh, the link uh, between the two? Because that's the thing. It's like Harpo and Chico were usually in cahoots. Yes, and Ch Harpo usually got the better of Chico when he was looking <laughs> the other way or something. You know, like that's no good. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> but Chico always presented himself as the smart one of the two. Yeah, and he was just he was always just so full of himself. Well, he had made, the gift to gab, which made it even funnier when Harpo was the one who you know. Uh, made him look like a fool yeah but then but but then chico was definitely on a, like a lower uh intellectual class than groucho but but he was able to like but so, you, so that's the thing it's like harpo punched up to chico chico punched up to groucho groucho punched up to marjorie Dumont. <laughs> exactly yeah and and you know there's that whole theory about you know comedy comedy of the you know is it outsider comedy you know making fun of those on the inside or is it insiders making fun of the like you know, like what what Howard Stern used to do, mm. make fun of homeless people? You know he's changed. He doesn't do that anymore. But it used to just really irritate me when here's you know successful radio DJ getting his laughs, his cruel laughs at yeah. at homeless people and getting us to laugh or bum fights. Remember bum fights? Yeah. He'd get these homeless. And I go, okay, Groucho, you know, would have never done that. Uh, you know, I'm done with, I'm done with. Uh, I mean, it's like, the, you know, I, I recently got this uh, 
Groucho Marx book that's like it's done by an academic philosophical guy okay so he really kind of digs into why things are funny and what Groucho stood for I never really saw the dark side or the the sad side of Groucho Marx but it's really there oh yeah uh just the fact that he uh how poor they were how poor they were growing up and they became stars they became in showbiz because their mom basically pushed them into it Groucho wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. He wanted to be somebody. He, yeah. he considered himself smart, but he got he he couldn't graduate high school because his mom was like, "We need money. Go yeah. with your uncle into well, vaudeville." Well, they they tried to put a singing group together. Right. Their uncle Al Sheen was a broad uh, a vaudeville star. Minnie's Boys. Did you ever see that? See, no. Everybody <coughs> brings that up. Uh, that's a movie then. Well, or, it was a play. I don't know if they made it, was it a play. Into a movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it was it it goes into that. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. But, well, oh, but speaking of intellectuals, there was some French intellectual I heard. I never read it. That did uh, a deep dive into uh, the Three Stooges and said that really? it was uh, ego, super ego, and id. You know, I it was, like it was, that. It was the three parts of man. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways. But, so, <laughs> so, anyways, and you know, but you could say that about the Marx Brothers too, is that they do represent three three different sides of a of a you know. A, uh, a human being, or three three phases that you go through, maybe I don't know. Yeah, oh. it's it's deep, and maybe we'll have to explore it some more in another another Marx Brothers. Uh, well, we could. I mean, that's the yeah. This is the end of my my little memoir about my uh, formative teenage years and how the Marx Brothers helped me along. But next next week we're gonna get into yours, so maybe we can give people a preview of that coming up. Sure. Now I'd like to say a few words. Hello? I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. La la. For my sake, you must stay. If you should go away. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Dueling Memoirs. This has been episode two. This has been the first, like, full proper episode where we actually get into uh, a chunk of one of our lives. Again, I'm Sean McCandless. I, I just turned 40 years old, and so I'm like on the cusp of millennial Gen X. And then we have we have Doc over here, and um, I'm a boomer. He's a boomer, full on, <laughs> solid through and through boomer. Okay. <laughs> Pass the bong, Sean. <laughs> you guys, no, you guys had. Uh, we didn't have bongs. You we used had... to smoke tea out of <laughs> joints, and well, you know, uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti died last week. The what? La- Lawrence Ferlinghetti is dead. Oh man! The last of the beats, and I started. Wasn't he like one of the first? No. Well, he's the, he's the last living beat because oh. they they're all gone. He yeah. died. He made it to one hundred and one. Wow. What set him apart from other beats was that he published the beats. Right. Uh, yeah. City Lights. City Lights books. Yeah. So now I'm I'm rereading uh, Ferlinghetti. So of course uh, I have to reread On the Road. By Jack Kerouac. Yeah, Kerouac's the beat icon, really. He's the hero, right? Yeah. Well, Neil Cassidy is in oh, that book, right? Yeah, for sure. Under he calls him name? Dean Dean Moriarty. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I never read On the Road. Uh, well, I'm going to bring that to our next podcast, Sean. And I might read a part of it because that's a book that had a, an influence on me when I was 14 or 15. I, I read the book three times. <clears throat> And then uh, hitchhiked out to California. I'm growing up in Man, Michigan. Man, that's going to be a good story. Well, yeah. I'm glad you did, because otherwise I wouldn't have met you. 
<laughs> but um, so wow. maybe we can talk about that at the next podcast. That sounds good. Yeah, books right. books that influence uh, our lives. I think is going to be a theme here. Well, sure. I mean, geez, <laughs> I I you know in my in my cradle, other kids had stuffed animals. I had books. You know? <laughs> Because your mom worked at a bookstore. I guess that that might have been related. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I worked at a bookstore when when I moved out here. Okay, and so um, that, so that's I was able to <clears throat> working at a bookstore as a used bookstore. Yeah, new and used, but I was able to get all the books that I couldn't afford earlier in my life. Isn't that, that awesome? Right, and I could just take them home at night and read them. Or if I didn't like them, I'd bring them back, and nobody would say anything. But <laughs> but that's how I got all of the Marx Brothers. I got that one that you showed me, that Marx Brothers scrapbook. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I keep finding more books. I, I every time I think I found the last one, I go, ah, oh, I see a new one. Yeah, flywheel shyster. That's flywheel. scripts. That's radio scripts. I know. I had know. this from the. Oh I got God. this from the bookstore. I'm trying to tell the OG what the, that the is. The Groucho That's... file, and then and then I um, the original Groucho. Well, yeah. What, what was the other one that you mentioned that I had? Uh, yeah. Why a duck? Why a duck? Yeah. yeah. And they, there's a sequel to that one too. I forget what it was called, but yeah. yeah. But I was able to take all those home. Man. Well, okay, I'm looking forward to it already. I want to hear about 14-year-old Doc yeah. going on the road. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't running away from home. I, I had a happy home. I, it was well-loved there. So I, I, everybody says, oh, you're running away. No, I was running toward something. I didn't know what, but I just knew that something was out there. Wow. But I we'll can, talk about it. I can it. relate to that, too, but I'll definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Sean. Yeah, well, thank you, too. It's great talking to you again. And... Uh, Till next time, over and out. Thanks for listening to Dueling Memoirs.